Radio Mano Papachango. You're supposed to sit on your ass and not at stupid things. Man, it's hard to do. Modern day slavery is knocking on my front door. I don't fit in the corporate world, whoa, whoa. man. I never pledge allegiance to your blood, sweat, and taxes. Don't ever mistake me being docile for contentment. Don't ever mistake my anger for resentment. You tried to blame an error, but the whitey was the bomber. You be jumping to conclusions. I think you spent your whole life watching cable in seclusion. It is what it is, and that's all. What are you going to do? Will some fool look up on a clear day and say that the sky's not a true enough blue? Ladies and gentlemen, the first, uh, tangentially speaking, intro mashup. <clears throat> I don't know what got into me this morning, but I just felt like doing that. So let me know if you like it. Maybe I'll do a few of them and rotate them around or something uh, very quickly. I won't do this every episode, but since it's the inaugural episode, I'll tell you who that was. The first thing is from a Manu Chao song. I don't remember which one, and he pulled it from the radio somewhere, I'm sure. So... That Radio Mano Papachango thing is from a Manu Chao song. Strawberry Letter 23, you may have recognized the the tune, but noticed that it's different from the one you're used to. That's This one is from the Shugi Otis version. He wrote it. <clears throat> and I'm not uh, an expert on this, but my understanding is that either he was dating the sister of one of the brothers Johnson or one of the brothers Johnson was dating Shuggy's sister. And anyway, they hung out and those guys heard the song and they liked it. They covered it and it became a huge hit in the seventies. It's a, it's always been a really interesting song for me. Um, it's one of the songs that uh, has some sort of a, spiritual resonance for me. I don't know if you feel this, but there's some songs when I heard them as a little kid, I felt they were magical. Um, and it was really kind of random. It was never, you know, never songs that claimed to be magical. It wasn't Puff the Magic Dragon or some Disney bullshit. It, it was, there were songs um, that just reached into my soul in a way. Uh, and it wasn't the lyric, it was something in the music um, that uh, that resonated at an extremely deep level for me. And I remember hearing that song when we were staying at my grandparents' house in Philadelphia and my grandfather, who was a, 
a bit of a train wreck of a, of a human being was downstairs uh, in his hospital bed with his amputated legs and the whole fucking nine yards, which I'll talk about someday maybe. Um, but I was upstairs. Uh, my sister and I were sharing a bed in a room upstairs. I was probably seven and she was four or something like that. And my grandfather had a little transistor radio that he was playing and that song came on the radio and I heard it from downstairs and it just immediately struck me that that was a, something really special going on in that song. And for the rest of my life when I heard, I didn't know what it was called or anything, <clears throat> you know, when I was 12, 13, 14, whatever, when that song would come on the radio, it was like, ah, that's the song, that's that song. And then, um, but I always just thought that that was a personal thing, you know, like for some reason, maybe I was in a, in a complicated psychological space because of being at my grandparents' house, which was uh, certainly um, a complicated psychological place for me to be. And um, anyway, I thought it was this personal sort of significance that it had for me, right? And then at some point, I was watching Six Feet Under, which, uh, if you don't know the show, it was an amazing show on HBO in the, I guess in the eighties, maybe nineties. I don't know about this uh, family who run a funeral home and, uh, fantastic writing, really interesting show. One of the first HBO like programs for adults, you know, programs for smart adults. And uh, there are two brothers, and the whole show sort of pivots around these two brothers, one of whom is gay, um, played by the actor who then went on to play Dexter. And uh, and the older brother, um, and there's a, a scene, right, I, it might be the last episode of the series, which I think was five or six years, so it was a long series. Anyway, you can Google it. It's on YouTube. Uh, I think it's Jake was the name of the older brother. He gets a brain aneurysm, has a brain aneurysm, and he's in the hospital. And there is, I think, the best four minutes of television that's ever been made. It's just incredible. He's They're in the hospital room. His brother's with him. Jake's lying in the hospital bed um, and... They're watching a nature program, I think, on television. And then we sort of go, the camera goes into Jake's experience, goes into his eyes. And now you're in his mind and it's an alternate world. He wakes up and he's in this house and there's this beeping sound and he goes downstairs and it's his brother and his dad who's been dead for years in the van and they're going to go surfing and there's this whole thing. And Jake is like, wow, man. Wow. And, and the brother's like, what's going on? And the brother looks nothing like he does in the series. Now he's like got a goatee and he's this funky surfer dude instead of this uptight, you know, suit wearing gay guy that he plays in the you know normal life. So it's an alternate universe, right? It's a, it's like that the, the so-called real world was a dream and this is the real world now, the dream world or wherever we are. And so it's this incredible experience and, and Jake has this moment where he's like, dude, oh, I, I was having a dream and like, and throughout this whole very surreal scene, strawberry letter, 23 is playing 
So that was pretty amazing to me because what that told me was it it wasn't just me that had this feeling about that song, that it was uh, transcendent in some way. The next cut was from uh, Bill Lee, which is a song by Warren Zevon about a baseball player who doesn't like to sit on his ass and nod at stupid things, followed by Fuck McDonald's and Taco Bell by Afro Man, which leads us into Poor Wayfaring Stranger by Spearhead. That is a great song. If you don't know it, it it um, pulls together like what you hear is the deep voice of Michael Franti, who's rapping over a country western gospel. Well, not gospel. What's it called? Uh, the white version of gospel. Uh, country western sort of Bible music, like Tennessee, Appalachian kind of Christian music. Really beautiful uh, juxtaposition. And then you've got Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow by Funkadelic. Distinto by Orishas or Orishas. I'm not sure where the accent goes on that. A Cuban band. I don't want to call them a rap band because they sing and rap. They're really fantastic. Their first four records are just knockouts, every one of them. So if you if you get off on melodic, non-angry, beautiful, complex, but like really moving rap, whether you speak Spanish or not, check out Orishas. Then you've got Home at Last by Steely Dan, which is one of the only pop songs I could name that's about the Odyssey. You'll notice he says, the danger on the rocks is surely past, yet I remain tied to the mast. That's uh, in reference to when um, Odysseus is sailing by the, uh, the sirens, the famous sirens whose song is so beautiful that it pulls you into the rocks and crashes the boats, right, the ships. And he's been warned about this. So he's been warned that he should plug his ears and the, the ears of all the men on the ship so that they don't um, give in to the temptation and go, uh, obviously this is a metaphor for so many things in life, right? But what Odysseus does that I've always found so clever and interesting is he has his men plug their ears and tie him to the mast and ignore everything he says, like just completely ignore whatever screaming or carrying on he does until they get, you know, past the danger. But he keeps his ears open because he wants to hear the song. So to me, that's that's the the intelligent bohemian right there that's that's the the guy who wants the experience but doesn't want to die for it you know that's the guy who who i've sort of fancied myself being um although i've fucked up a few times never enough to kill myself luckily i'm still here but i've definitely put myself in situations where i wasn't being as clever as i thought i was but in any case that was the sort of model right like okay Think it through, build in protections, and then have the experience. So uh, then we have another Spearhead song, Chocolate Superhighway. I've just always loved that. I remember the time in Oklahoma you tried to blame the era, but the whitey was the bomber. You'd be jumping to conclusions. That's the truth. Followed by It Is What It Is by Steve Forbert who had one song in the 70s that was uh, famous. 
uh, Romeo's tune. I doubt many of you are old enough to remember that, but it was an interesting song. I've always liked his voice. That song's got a really interesting message. The whole thing's about, you know, we're always complaining, um, but the nature of life is what it is, and that's all. That's the name of the song. Uh, He says, uh, driving a Jaguar is impressive, but you can't watch it go by. Right. I mean, you can either have it or you can have the pleasure of watching someone else have it. You can't do both. Right. <laughs> Next song there, just a little little cut is Tribalistas, uh, a fantastic uh, group of Brazilian musicians who got together and put out a couple of records. You know, it would be like Mick Jagger and Pete Townsend and Tom Petty get together and do an album or two together. That, that's what they're like. They're all superstars in Brazilian music, and they put together um, this record, Tribalistas. Highly recommended. That little cut doesn't give you a sense of the music, of course. But And the last is the Buena Vista Social Club cover of Clocks by Coldplay. You know, it's amazing. I've been thinking about uh, student loans and what a mess this country is in in terms of the, the student debt. Uh, apparently, it's having all sorts of repercussions throughout the economy because people who are graduating uh, with tons of debt can't then go out and buy a house. They can't buy cars. They can't buy all the stuff that stimulates the economy and creates jobs and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I saw an article in The Atlantic uh, it's by uh, Jordan Weissman. It's called Here's Exactly How Much the Government Would Have to Spend to Make Public College Tuition Free. The number he comes up with is $69 billion. And then uh, later in, in a couple of uh, caveats, he f- figures it would be actually quite a bit less than that because he was basically starting from scratch. But if you look at how much money state uh, governments already subsidize public colleges, uh, it's about $20 billion. So you're looking at about $40 billion difference. So $40 billion per year is what it would cost the U.S. government to uh, join the rest of the civilized world in making uh, college tuition free for its students. That is less than they're spending right now, which is, uh, he says it here, uh, what they're spending right now on Pell Grants, tax breaks, work-study funding, financial aid, this whole like hodgepodge of programs that have built up over the years. Uh, so they'd, they'd be spending less to just give it away than they're spending to make you pay for it over time. Now, if that's not the textbook example of stupid public policy, of of accumulated, gathered special interests just sucking value away from the citizens of the country. I don't know what is. Well, there are a lot of other examples of that, but that's a pretty freaking obvious one, right? And then if you go and actually you want to get really sick, compare it to things like the $400 billion that's already been spent to research and develop the F-35 fighter jet, a plane that currently cannot fly, right? $400 billion to develop an airplane that does not fly. I don't know what you call a country like that, but 
it certainly seems to be a country that's circling the drain. There's an article online in Business Insider, which is anything but a hippie, you know, left-wing hippie kind of publication. Uh, The article is called Why America is Not Normal by Jeffrey Ingersoll. And uh, the subheading is, These Eight Facts Prove the Situation in America is Not Normal Right Now. And it's about uh, a few insane military expenditures, including the F-35 that I just mentioned, uh, a couple of ships, the tanks and uh, ground combat vehicles that the military is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on. Nobody fights tank wars anymore, right? That's not happening. Why are we still building all these freaking tanks? Uh, Why do we have... Uh, what do we have, a dozen aircraft strike groups around the world? Why? Why are we paying for all this stuff? This makes no sense at all. Uh, anyway, they they make a few um, recommendations, total all up the savings over 10 years is $1.4 trillion. Now, anyone who says, oh, but what about the lost jobs? Look, you can hand people suitcases of money for less than it'll cost you to keep them employed building shit nobody needs. Not to mention all the pollution that we're generating, all the toxicity, and the fact that these things ultimately are used to like destroy people and blow up cities. Um, one point four trillion. Okay, that's not to eliminate the U.S. Defense Department. That's not to, you know, fundamentally change foreign policy of the United States. That's just to get rid of some obviously glaringly stupid, not needed programs. Compare that one point four trillion to forty billion per year. Right? One point four trillion over ten years. So what's that? A hundred and forty billion per year versus forty billion per year that we could be educating everybody. And by the way, making all that education free would create jobs as well. <sighs> yeah. All right, that's my rant. I probably shouldn't even talk about politics because, honestly, I don't know what the hell to do. I'm getting all these emails from people saying, oh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, okay, Elizabeth Warren. Hey, I I think Elizabeth Warren is great. I agree with virtually everything she has to say. But do I think Elizabeth Warren as president could change anything? No, I don't. Uh, You know, I wish I did. I wish I believed. I don't. I believed kind of with Obama. You know, I have Obama t-shirts, two of them. I haven't worn them in years. Now, I'm sure part of that is just that Obama is personally a disappointment. Um, He's not as... uh, as strong as I thought he was. He's certainly as smart as I thought he was. If you've read his books, the dude is fucking smart and, and he can write and he can think and he can be, he's very self-aware. I think he's a great guy. Uh, he's somebody I'd be happy to, to hang out with. Um, but I think he, he pussied out on a lot of stuff and I can understand why I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, might have mentioned things that could happen to his daughters, you know, 
I'm sure it's it's all done in an extremely indirect way that he doesn't even realize what happened and what was said until maybe days later where there's something that just keeps echoing in his head and like, oh, uh, the president is not the king. The president is handcuffed in 15 different ways and people around him who are telling him how wonderful he is and supporting him can turn around and stick a knife in his back at any point, literally and figuratively. So, you know, Elizabeth Warren gets elected. Okay, fine. Uh, but that doesn't mean anything's going to happen. That doesn't mean that one courageous, intelligent woman is going to overcome hundreds of millions of dollars of lobbyist money, intransigent, corrupt Congress and Senate, uh, Supreme Court that's uh, overwhelmingly white, conservative, disdainful assholes. Uh, no, Elizabeth Warren is not going to take over and uh, clean that mess up. I don't think anyone's going to clean that mess up. I think the whole fucking thing has to fall apart. It's like they say to you know to, to addicts. They've got to hit rock bottom before they can start to put their lives back together again. And that's how I feel about this country. It's just so fucked uh, on so many different levels that um, there's no incremental improvement that's really possible. I just kind of feel like it's got to it's really hit rock bottom and that's going to be a very rocky ride. On that optimistic note, Let's talk about this week's podcast. It's uh, with Richard, who lived in Japan for, has lived in Japan for 12 years and counting. Uh, some very interesting insights into Japanese uh, culture, sexuality. I talk a bit about my insights from living in Spain for so long. And uh, yeah, I think it was a pretty interesting conversation. Richard's got a website, organiccouples.com, which sort of uh, combines an interest in knowing your way around the kitchen with knowing your way around the bedroom. So he makes the rather obvious connection that if you know how to cook, you can apply that same sensuality and calm and, um, you know, interest in creating pleasure with what's going on in the bedroom. And so uh, that's the the purpose of his website, and we talk about that quite a bit in the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. It's always wonderful. The Carsey Blanton Smoke Alarm Acoustic Version will uh, play you out at the end. Thanks again to Shore Design T-Shirts. As always, the discount code for me is uh, Sex at Dawn. One word, you get 10% off. They're, I think they're also doing free shipping uh, to celebrate the Christmas season. And uh, I should have, uh, by the by the new year, I'll have uh, news for you on the, the advertising front. I'm not going to do advertising. I'm going to sort of uh, set up something else, but I'm, I should have that within a couple of weeks. And uh, what else? If you go to, if you're going to buy stuff on Amazon, please use my, uh, my link on the page, chrisryanphd.com. You'll see it on the right side on the margin. Just click on that Amazon thing, and then anything you buy on that visit to Amazon will get 2 or 3% of whatever you spend. doesn't cost you anything extra. If you want to chat on Reddit about the this uh, show or any of the specific guests or episodes or whatever or, or just talk to me, 
I'm there quite a bit. It's uh, Reddit, uh, subreddit, uh, tangentially speaking, one word. Uh, thanks to all of you, by the way, who responded to, I mentioned that uh, a guy wrote to me who's leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, the, uh, the witness cult, uh, religion, whatever it is. Uh, I saw a bunch of people had responded to that, and, and he's getting some good um, information and support there. So that's cool to see that sort of community happening. Uh, I guess that's it. Uh, if you want to, I, I mentioned a few times uh, I'm involved with a website named Cotango, K-O-T-A-N-G-O, which is a place to um, inform yourself and meet people who are involved in ethical non-monogamy. There's sort of a dating scene going on there as well because, you know, you don't have to deal with that awkward moment where you say to somebody, look, you know, hey, you're cute and love to have dinner with you, but I'm not into monogamy which uh, can be a bit of a deal breaker out there in the normal world. So anyway, Kotango, K-O-T-A-N-G-O dot com. Check that out and enjoy the podcast. It's uh, Merry Christmas. I guess it's the Christmas week. So Merry Xmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa or whatever. I'm I'm more of a pagan, so I guess it's uh, the, the, what is it, the solstice, the winter solstice. Yeah. So enjoy your long, dark nights. See you next week. I'm here with Richard. Richard, who does not have a last name that he's using <clears throat> for uh, reasons that may or may not become apparent during this conversation. Hello, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, moms, moms. Moms can be problematic when you uh, are, are uh, playing with boundaries. I love my mom. My mom's wonderful, but sometimes it makes me cringe when I think of her reading something I've written or listening to me having, you know, some conversation with a porn star about bukkake or something. And, you know, I just, it's, it's just yeah. weird. Especially to become famous uh, for a subject that you can't talk around the uh, Thanksgiving table with, <laughs> with <Yeah>. mom. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I gotta say mom has, in, in my case, mom has proven to be very, very cool. Mm. Uh, you know, as she's aged, she's sort of chilled in a lot of ways and I'm sure. sure I have as well. Right. And she's dealt with the whole sex of dawn phenomenon mm. amazingly well. She's just incredibly happy and, you know, she handles all the T-shirt sales and everything, and she sends people emails from Chris's mom, you know, your shirt's on the way, and all this kind of stuff. So, That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's me. I'm the one who's uptight about it. Right. She doesn't seem to be bothered by it How's the career all. going, sweetie? <laughs> yeah. The only thing that kind of really freaked me out a little bit was, I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast or not, but um, I got a email from the company that makes fleshlights okay uh they, they were interested in sponsoring the podcast or something and and i uh i said well you know this was before i had any sponsors and i said yeah i don't know i'm I'm sort of not really doing that yet i'm waiting you know till i get a bigger audience or whatever and and they were like well it doesn't matter let's just let us send you one you, you never tried one so i forgot all about it i gave them my parents address in la because you know i didn't have an address i was traveling and then I get this email from my mother saying, well, dear, a package arrived for you from Texas, and I'm not sure what it is. It looks like some sort of undersea creature. Like, oh, <laughs> undersea creature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho.
So, okay, Richard. Richard lives in Japan. You've been there for 12 years. Correct. And, but you're American. Correct. You look like a fucking Mormon, but uh, you're not. Is that true? Or you are? I, we never got through that, did we? When, no, we, exactly. We, we just met. I, I should sort of uh, like outline why we're doing this podcast. You and I met online a few years ago, a few months ago, right? Yeah, about and, nine months ago. Yeah. You were working on a project that is now launched. Correct. Which is, uh, which I thought was a very interesting project, or is a very interesting project, combining cooking and sexual techniques. Yes. Is that a fair description of it? Mm. So it's sort of like what you can learn in the kitchen that is applicable to your love life and vice versa. Exactly. Which seems like a natural uh, connection, right? Mm. You know, do you know in, in some languages, particularly hunter-gatherer languages that I've been uh, reading about the word to eat mm-hmm. is the verb to eat is the same as to fuck so you eat another person when you have sex with them oh that's fantastic yeah you eat one another but they don't have oral sex very strange and hunter gatherers generally mm-hmm. do not have oral sex uh, or anal sex uh men women it's right. it's pretty much straight up intercourse uh, there's not a lot of kinkiness among hunter-gatherers, which is uh, an interesting thing to think about. I don't really have any strong theories about it, but I've just started thinking about it recently. But in any case, there's no oral sex, but they right. say we're, we eat each other when they have sex. Oh, that's yeah. I heard something about uh, an African tribe where that that was true, where oral sex was out, yeah, but everything else was in, yeah. <laughs> I have now, now you, you, you rendered me speechless. Now I got to go research this yeah. because this is this kind of um, well in Japan they have words that have two meanings, and it, I always find it fascinating because I think it's a reflection of their culture, right? So the word uh, kire it means uh, uh, to clean, right? Mm. But it also means beautiful. Mm. So a girl is kire, and if you've cleaned your house well, it's it's clean. So clean and beauty. Mm. That makes sense. Like here we say sweet. She's sweet. Right. She's hot. I mean, there are all sorts of words that have those double entendres. One of my favorites, and, and maybe there's a word like this in, in Japanese. One of my favorites from Spanish is the word morbo. Okay. Which means <clears throat> it's, it's associated with the word morbid in English. Right. right. But in English, morbid is associated with death and, and darkness okay. and, you know, that kind right. of decay. Whereas in, in Spanish, morbo or morboso, which is the adjective or morbosa, refers to someone who is attractive but not beautiful. Okay. So Jack Nicholson, maybe. Right. Or um, Angelica Houston mm. or, you know, someone who's compelling or Mick Jagger, someone right. you'd, like, want to be around or maybe you want to have sex with, but... You take a picture of him that's not an attractive person, right? right. So is there a word for that in, in Japanese that you know Well, of? on the uh, uh, other end of the spectrum, uh, busaiku, mm-hmm. which means uh, cute ugly. Ah. <laughs> like, like a pug or one of these ah, dogs that are right. you know, really quite ugly, but they're so ugly they become cute. Right. <laughs> yeah, Winston Churchill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I wonder, because when I think of Japanese culture, I think of a lot of cute, ugly shit. I think mm. a lot of stuff that, not so ugly it's cute, but so cute it's ugly. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like okay, the Hello sure. Kitty phenomenon. Right. And there's just, 
Now, I've never been to Japan in my life. Which is, which is a wrong that we must right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, I, I almost went. In fact, I was so close to going, I actually bought the ticket. I bought my shoes for the job interviews I was expecting to have. My uh, buddy of mine's father was the, like the head, the vice president of sales for IBM for East Asia. Oh, fantastic. And he had this amazing apartment in Yoka, Yokohama, you know, and he wasn't going to be there when I was planning oh. to arrive. So he was like, right. just talk to the doorman. I'll tell him you're coming. You can have the place. So I would have had this like penthouse. Um, and then I got offered an amazing job in New York at the last minute, and I stayed in New York. So I never went. Had you taken that offer, we would not be talking today because you would have never gotten out of the country. <laughs> That's possible, but you know, I, I, I read a lot about Japan. I right. read some novels. Uh, you know, this was in the late eighties, early nineties. When was this? This was like mid mid to late eighties, I guess. Um, uh, there was a, a novel written by Jay McInerney, who had written Bright Lights, Big City, that was a big splash success about New York and then he went to Japan and he wrote a novel and then there was there was a, a period of two or three years where a lot of American expats in Japan were writing novels about being in Japan mm-hmm. uh, and that whole experience so I'd read a lot of that and I had a sense of what it was like because the yen was really strong so you yeah. could go to Japan and make a shitload of money exactly if you didn't like get broke on the ride from the airport you know into yes. Tokyo <laughs> right um and so that's what I was looking at. I was like going to go there and you know make a lot of bank and then go travel in Asia. And you know sure. I had already been in Asia and that so I'd met a lot of Japanese people mm. uh, or Americans who were teaching in Japan actually. But um, what the hell am I talking about? What was I getting into this? Oh, I'd, I'd done a lot of research about Japanese culture in sure. preparation okay. for this. And honestly, I was both attracted to the strangeness of it mm. but repulsed by a lot of it as well mm. and so i wasn't sure i was going to enjoy it mm. which is why when the new york thing came up i was it was kind of easy to say yeah fuck it I, I wasn't sure i wanted to do that anyway like they're very racist xenophobic yeah yeah they're the best and everyone else is second class yeah well for example if by the way i'm very excited to be here because Finally, I've met someone who uh, speaks or uses tangents in their speaking as much as I do. So, <laughs> so, so we'll are, get completely lost. So, today. for uh, those of uh, those listening, um, apologies in advance. Hang on. <laughs> no, we're going deep down the rabbit hole, hey. but I promise you, we'll wrap it all up. Nice anyone who's listening is cool with tangents. <laughs> okay. I'm sure about that. <laughs> um, so, yes, very uh, xenophobic as a general rule, and. Um, for example, if you ask a Japanese person, you know, um, I, I did this with a friend. I said, so are you Asian? And he said, no, <laughs> no, we're not Asian, meaning Japanese. Right. And I'm like, well, if you're not Asian, what are you? And he said, well, we're Japanese. Right. I go, that's not the point. You've got to go, you know, larger region. You've got to go regional. I didn't ask you what your nationality is. I, what region of the world are you from? So if you're not from Asia, where are you from? And he said, well, we would probably say um, Western, if we had to. Right. And then when you get there, the answer is actually very accurate because the Japanese feel that way. But more importantly, the Asians feel that way, right. too. Yeah. The, 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 the racial stuff I've heard, you know, Chinese to Korean, Korean to Chinese, and, to, and then both of them against Japan is just, it's uh, rich with irony. Just, yeah, very um, 
a lot of history there that, yeah. ha- that has not been forgotten and some of which shouldn't be forgotten. So Yeah, despite the fact that there are institutional attempts to forget. You know, the comfort women and the, you know, in Japanese well, education, there's a yeah. lot of denial. of Which the, I don't even, I don't even, yeah, I don't even like that. Uh, uh, comfort women shouldn't even be said. Right. Because that, that gives the people who are denying what was done. Yeah. Plays into their hands. Exactly. Yeah. They, they yeah. win. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the term comfort women, if you use it, means they win. Right. Because they weren't comfort women. <laughs> they were they were, forced they were prostitutes. Yeah. yeah but they were sex slaves. Sex slaves. Yeah. Um, now that's just what I love is, and these guys are high, you know, they're in power in the government right now, which is unfortunate. But what they'll say is, some of them were professionals. They were pr- prostitutes, or their pimps put them in, and I'm sure that happened. You know, nothing is black or white. It's all gray. But just because an X percentage of these women were professionals doesn't mean that the large percentage were sex slaves. And it doesn't mean that just because you're a prostitute doesn't mean that you weren't forced to do business with clients that you didn't want to do business with. Right. So on so many levels, it, it's, it's, it's troublesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the things that, that I found disturbing about Japanese culture was the, the arrogance and the, um, the, the, the certainty of superiority, mm. which uh, I find very irritating about American culture. Well, it's funny you say that because that's <laughs> when I went there. I was like, you know, I thought it was cute when I was in Amer- when I was in America, and they we were uh, rebelling against the metric system. Right. I thought that was cute. Our patriotism, our nationalism, being different. Yay! Yeah. And then I see that same attitude on different topics, but same attitude when I'm in Japan, where they want to be different for just being different. Right. And then I go, oh, so this is why the whole world's irritated with such an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. help matters. Well, and then you've got the Japanese thing where they've got that sort of xenophobic, um, egocentric, we're the best, we're the originals, we're the people, everyone else is some mm. second-class imitation of us. And yet so much of Japanese culture, at least on the surface, is American culture. It's just a fucking ripoff of American culture. So it's like on the one hand, they're saying, we're so, we're original, we're so unique. And I'm saying, you're just fucking trying to be Americans. What's, you know, because we kicked your ass in the war. So now you want to be like us. There's this weird, like, we're not like anyone else. And yet we copy everyone else or not everyone else, but that particular culture. Yes. But the way I look at it is, is that their adaptability. Yeah. They will adapt and incorporate. For example, I, I was in Italy this summer, and um, what I was shocked was outside downtown major you know, cities, the, the, the variety of food, the variety of restaurants doesn't exist. Right. In Japan, no matter where you go, small town, big town, there's a variety of food from around the world. Oh, really? Yeah, it's... It, it's a food culture, and there's food oh, everywhere. That surprises me. I would have thought it was like all Japanese food once you got out of the major cities. Well, yeah, it's see, I love Japan because it's just full of. Uh, <laughs> it's a very confusing. It's not confusing, but part of the country hangs on to some very old and beautiful traditions and culture. You know, parts of their culture, and then other parts are very modern, right? So Kyoto is a good example. Uh, there's beautiful old temples surrounded by um, horrible 1960s architecture. Mm. 
and it bothers me, but your average Japanese person doesn't even notice the conflict. Really? <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, of course, you know. So, but uh, I spend a lot of time in Asia, and um, and I do a lot of world traveling as well, and I like to talk, you know, because Japan is shrinking in size and population, and its its economy is shrinking, and as a result, you don't see Japanese tourists around the world. Nowhere, not like you used to. Right. Uh, what you do see is Chinese tourists. Right. And then that's just a whole kettle of fish of fun. Uh, you get to see uh, the cultural difference there. Um, Chinese cuisine is to be respected. Every you know, Anthony Bourdain. I read it. I follow him on Twitter, and uh, someone asked him, you know, you know a lot about cooking. You've been around the world, but where do you go? To and where do you feel that you know nothing about food? And he had a one-word answer: China. Mm. It is a very respectable cuisine, not the one that you eat outside China. In fact, I told a Chinese friend once. I said, "I got a secret. I hate Chinese food." She goes, "I'll tell you a secret. Everyone hates Chinese food outside China." Right. <laughs> so, is it better in China? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah you have no idea how much when you go to a good restaurant. Yeah. Um, it is an amazing food culture there yeah um and regionally it's very different right yeah, chef one is completely different exactly cantonese or and the north versus the south yeah. and they have a great show there about um the, their own food culture and even they it seems to be a human trait where they have no need to apologize for their food culture at all yeah that's not enough so there is like the uh, narrator says, okay, this woman, she goes out into the mountains to get this mushroom, and she works all this hard, and it's very fascinating, and it's, it's wonderful. But then the attitude and some of the words were like, but nowhere else in the world do they have mushrooms. <laughs> really? <laughs> right? No. The quality of mushroom here is unlike anywhere in the entire world. Now, this is about China? Yeah, or about this has been about uh, China. See, so... Yeah, there's a lot of that jingoism. Exactly. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, these mushrooms are world-class. Yes, it's a world-class cuisine. Yes, but don't tell the French and the Italians that they don't have mushrooms, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that I don't get in Japan, right? So, well, and also China's new, right? I mean, Japan mm -hmm. has been a world power, right. an international power for, what, since the 60s, pretty much. Right, right, right. An industrial power, and then following that cultural... Because I'd like know, to say, when you go to Japan, the first 10 days, um, everyone loves it. Mm. Because it, it, it's just, the stimulus, the stimuli, is just, it's amazing, uh, be it food or... The architecture or the history or, or the modern history, whatever it is, there's just so much going on. Yeah. But then after the 10 days, uh, foreigners fall into two camps. Um, great to come. When, when am I leaving? Right. I'm overstimulated. Right. I'm done. I'm out of here. And then the other group is I may never leave. Hmm. There's usually you fall into two camps. There really isn't right. another camp. Right. <laughs> right. And I fell into the, um, I don't think I'll ever leave. Had, was it your first trip there? Oh, yeah. As soon as I was on the train, I knew. Really? And yeah. w were you, you know, earlier we talked about this. Oh, I never finished talking about how we met. So we met. Oh. You contacted me. I guess you heard the podcast or something. Right. Well, I read the book. And oh, okay. it, it had an influence of, on both me and the project. And then 
I followed up with you to let you know. And right. And then we, we talked a bit right. about the project. And then turns out you were going to be in Portland. You're in the States visiting some friends and family. And you came through Portland. We met about four hours ago. And we spent the last three hours bowling. Exactly. Because <laughs> I had already planned to go bowling with a friend of mine. And by uh, the way, he, he did win three of the four rounds. And then tied in the fourth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all very shitty scores, so nothing yeah. to be proud of for we any were, of us. We were scheduled to do this podcast tomorrow. Right. But we're I think we did it we're doing it today because um I already have a blister. I'm sure you'll have a bad back. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. We'll be so, recovering tomorrow exactly. like a couple of 80-year-olds. Uh yeah, so uh all right, so that's out of the way. The context is set. Right. So you you grew up in the states, right? Yes, West Coast. West Coast. And then was Japan your first uh serious out of the country experience? Yeah, you know, technically it would have been uh you know, Tijuana. <laughs> that doesn't count. That doesn't count. You said it, not me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, in 1999, I um, had a, I finally had a job that was making enough money to allow me to travel. And um, I was with a new company and I said, are we getting holiday? Are we getting holiday? No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know. Back and forth, back and forth. Was and, a startup or something? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then three days before the two-week holiday Boss comes in and says, good news, everybody. Everyone has two weeks off. And it's like, good news. Everything's sold out and everything is three times the normal price now. Oh, two weeks off starting three <laughs> in days three days In three days, yeah. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks, boss. Yeah, yeah. thanks. And, but luckily, Korean Air still had these really cheap tickets. Uh, like, it was like $500 round trip from L.A. to Tokyo. Right. And I had met a Japanese woman in uh, uh, L.A. And... Um, so I called her up and I said, I have a chance to come to Japan. You know, can we you know, have lunch or something? She said, yeah, great. So I flew to Japan and uh, was hooked instantly. You know, small things. I'm really big on manners. Mm. Half of the way, I think, is really old school. I've always been kind of out of my time. Uh, when I saw the in downtown Tokyo in, in Shibuya, for those who have been there, it, it couldn't be more metropolitan, more busy single file line to get on a city bus. Right. I saw that and I said, I may have come home. You like that. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, we have a joke. It's called I'm an, I'm an, I'm an egg. An egg is uh, someone who's white on the outside, yellow on the inside. Ah, wow. <laughs> and the opposite is a banana. So. Oh, there you yeah, go. yeah. So no, I'm an egg. I so I felt really comfortable. Um you know, there's a Outwardly, there's a lot of manners. There's a lot of politeness. Right. Um, and I really, really like that. It doesn't matter if someone hates your guts. There's outwardly, they're outwardly polite. Hmm. Uh, when, you, when two people bump shoulders uh, on the subway, it's both apologize. Yeah. Even the person who wasn't wrong apologizes. Yeah. And it's not a heartfelt apology. They know they did nothing wrong, but it's this culture of manners and politeness right. that keeps a very crowded place um, hmm. manageable, civilized, right. and sane. Yeah, be uh, careful using that word civilized around me, man. That's true. That, that's, a, that's a key word for you. Exactly. I, I spent the morning working yeah. on a chapter about how, you know, so-called civilized societies are anything but, you know. And, well, but anyway, we won't, we won't, I won't impose that on right, you. I, I, I know I'll, what you're I'll, saying. I'll poke the bear just a little bit. <laughs> 
my friend in New York, uh, we're on the phone talking about exactly this, and he goes, you know, Japan has their animals too. And I said, yes, they do, but here's the difference. In, in New York, and this was you know, pre-Giuliani, in New York, animals run free on the streets. In Japan, they keep them in cages, otherwise known as offices. Mm, yeah. And I said, it's a lifestyle choice. I choose to live in a country where the animals are in cages. It's, yeah. not, it's not that they don't have them, right? Sure. But, you know, I lived in Venice Beach, California, and I would have women, friends, or whoever come and visit me, and they just had a uh, park a block away. And once it was nightfall, um, under no circumstances would I allow them to walk a block down the street because yeah. it was that dangerous, right? Yeah. But in Japan, I've never had to walk a woman home. Right. Japan has like single digit murder rate. You right. Know, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. But of course, everything's relative. You ask them and they say, you know, because of the news, you know, rampant, you know, crime right. everywhere. It's doubled in <laughs> exactly. the past year from three to six. I mean, yeah. and, you know, in, yeah. in terms of just freedom, freedom is being able to go to an ATM and look both ways. Freedom right. is being able to watch a salary man pass out on a platform on a large in a large city and wake up with his wallet, wallet yeah. intact. Um Freedom to me is for a woman, if, God forbid, something happened to her on the way home, her friends wouldn't ask her, like in the States, why were you walking alone at night going home? They would say, oh, my God, lightning struck. Okay, so let's let's go with this. Um, Because these are all things that I read when I was researching the culture that, you know, the, the... you can leave your wallet at the bus stop and come back the next day and it'll still be there with mm. all the money in it. And, you know, there's this incredible uh, social pressure to conform in a good way and mm. in a bad way, depending mm. how you want to frame it. But what about sexual abuse on the trains? From what I've read, mm. women are getting groped constantly on the trains. Yeah, well, yes. To that, There's a dichotomy. So I was with my girlfriend out in her country home about four hours from Tokyo and they get a phone call and dad, dad takes the call and he's very, very polite. And, you know, in the Japanese language, depending on who you're talking to, you use different types of of language. If you're speaking up or down. Exactly. So he was talking up. So everyone stopped. It's like, wow, what's going on? Right. And then he hangs up and he goes, well, to my girlfriend, do you remember that bicycle that was stolen out in front of our house? you know, four years ago. And she goes, yeah, they found it in Tokyo and they're returning it. <laughs> that was, that was, the, it was the police, the right. police, Tokyo. Found the, your bike. Exactly. <laughs> the police in Tokyo found your bike and they want, want to figure out how we can return it. Right. Okay. At the same exact time on the trains, uh, they have women only cars, uh, during the morning and the afternoon rush hour right? because there's so much groping going on. And I don't think I've ever met a Japanese woman who didn't, who hasn't been groped at least once. Um, and there's particular lines that are particularly bad actually. So yeah. So, I mean, this is, and you've this got those weird me. dudes with the white gloves that push people into the trains to, to pack them in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yamanote line, 8 a.m., Everything we just talked about, Japanese manners, out the window. <laughs> Does not. There is a 30-minute window where they are the – it's insanity. Really? Because you have to first understand that the trains are packed like sardines. Yeah. Um, New York, so you have no concept of – the small town that I – Which is why the groping's so easy because you can't even turn around to see whose hand is on your exactly. tits, right? It's well, like, well, yeah, Exactly. So, but there's more people on one train when there's hundreds in the morning than in my entire town. 
right? So they they really pack in there, and then no one can be late for work. In fact, if the train's late for any reason, there's a man outside the booth that hands out little excuse slips. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there's excuse you slips. You show up with a note. <laughs> you do. You show up with a note from the from this the, the JR train station. You know, and I've never read it. I don't know what it says, but I can imagine it says, you know, dear employer, I'm so sorry that you're empl- we made your employee late. Right. We apologize. Right. <laughs> and they, you have to come in with this, but so no one can be late. Um, the, the, the car is too full. And so what they do is they turn around and they put their back and they start putting their heels in and they push and they push and they push. And then you would think the train conductors would have none of this. No, to your point, the train conductors with the white gloves <laughs> come and help heave ho. <laughs> really? Just and then, pack them in. And pack them in. And then the doors slam shut. Yeah. So Incredible. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, what, what, I, do kids ever like get smothered to death or something? Like, oh, could well, you imagine? I think mothers know better. Yeah, no, not. Oh, you just don't not, take kids in there. No, not that train. Because no. someone rips a fart, man. That <laughs> you know, kids or or small people of any sort are in big trouble. It's not the farts. Or not even small people. Everybody's in trouble. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the farts. You want if you want to not be able to breathe. <laughs> last train, last train on a Friday Saturday night. Well, any night actually. All the drunk salarymen, because part of the business culture is you got to get drunk with your either your rip roaring, rip roaring, puking in the street, drunk. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they all get on the train, and there's not that many people, but their bodies are reek of alcohol right. to the point where the entire train car fills up, and you feel nauseous from the smell of Fumes. the alcohol. <laughs> Oh, man. And by the way, I'm sure there's tweets and people complaining about uh, anti-Japan podcasts. But no, I love the place. I've been there 12 years. I would have left by now. And yeah. the, uh, you know, But there is two Japans. There's a Japan for foreigners, and, yeah. and, that's, and there's a Japan for Japanese. And the one for Japanese is very structured and can be stressful if, um, for, uh, for them. And then for us foreigners, I've been really happy there because I knew one rule immediately when I arrived – which is you are always a visitor. Right. In the, in the discussion. For better or worse. In the, it doesn't matter if I learn Japanese right. better than the Japanese. If I know all their history, if I become a Japanese citizen, yeah. it does not matter right. what I do because Japan, most Japanese don't believe that Japan um, is a nationality. They believe it's a race. Right. And they take that seriously. And I Well, that's <laughs> why like Koreans who mm. have been there for several generations. That's right. They have special passports that say they're not really Japanese, right? And, right? They're, and they're, 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 everyone's registered in the city hall, and yeah. and and so on and so forth. So, um, I knew that going, and I what I said to myself is, I'm not going to be one of these angry foreigners that come out of Japan bitter, right? Because right? sure, because they try to get out of their box, right? And when you try to, you know, there's an expression uh, there: the nail that sticks above the floor gets nailed down. Sure. So you get out of the, your box you're going to run headlong into problems. Mm-hmm. And for the 12 years that I was there full-time, and now I'm doing a lot of traveling, I stayed in my box. Right. But um, a year and a half ago, I, I didn't get out of my box. I just peered over. I wanted to change my visa status. I wanted to open up a business. And so I just started doing research, research about how I could change my box. And the res- resistance starts right there at that level. Uh. So and you you're like the the mime who's sort of like oh there's the wall <laughs> exactly. it's right there yeah right 
there. Really? Um, so your what is your visa status? What's it been for 12 years? Are you a tourist? Do you have to leave and come back every year or something? Oh, that only works for a certain amount of time. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> no, I was uh, under a work visa. Uh. And then um, the economy in Japan's in really bad shape, and now the taxes are going up, and mm. um, they are trying to take as much money as they can from everybody. And uh, because I make most of my income in America, they wanted me to declare that as well. Uh, and I'm like, well, I already pay one uh, slave master, and right. that's, that's enough for me. Right. So I decided to change my visa to a tourist visa. Because I, in the last year and a half, I've only been there four months. So I'm going basically for, uh, for business. And do you own property there? Uh, a rental. Rental. So Because yeah, I have a restaurant there, and I was running a restaurant right before, and then, Started traveling, so it went reservation only. And then oh. I've been doing a lot of traveling, and I've been looking for someone to run the place. But you know, I keep, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do for next year. You know, my my goals, and um, I can change it to a business visa. And it's all very possible. It's all very manageable. But I, you, it, you just have to, I just have to figure if the restaurant would make enough money to pay for the, right. the costs. But there's things about Japan that are great. I mean, at the for example, I have this little restaurant, right? It's a little nine-seater. It, I have a beer and I have a wine license, and I can serve food, and all the government paperwork cost me $175. Really? Yeah. I don't know any place in the States where you can get a beer, wine, <laughs> and restaurant license it. for yeah. $175. Probably not even Tijuana. No, exactly, yeah. right? So there's a very laissez-faire attitude there, which is great great but then they don't commit to anything because right. technically almost everything is illegal and they only apply it to when they want to apply it right uh, right, right right so, so there as a foreigner you're very vulnerable yeah it's you know um yeah you just have to play it by you know you have to play it conservative and then right. you'll be fine cuz they're not see they're not going after you they're not looking for you you just need to not call attention to yourself right you call attention to yourself mm, then peace needs to be made right um i had a friend who i have a friend who was involved in it he's a foreigner and a uh, japanese mobster got into a car chase with him oh boy <laughs> yeah well i'll tell you about this is an interesting part is and at the end of it the cops made the both of them shake hands and go their separate ways <laughs> What happened? They had a dispute at an intersection or something? Yeah, so um, uh, the, the the mafia member, he um, was a hot-headed driver, and he, you know, very uh, typical L.A. type of driving. This happened in Japan, but, you know, road rage, right? Just yeah. just road rage. No one particular incident, you know. And, and they had this road rage, and then the mobster wouldn't let go of it and just kept, you know, trying to cut my friend off and honking at him and tailgating him, going down the highway and then just stopping in the middle of the road to make him stop. And so my friend said, wow, this is getting out of control. So we called an, uh, a Japanese friend of ours who has a very interesting background, right? <laughs> so called him and said, you know, what do I do about this? And he said, you come to my shop and you park right in front of my shop. He goes, I don't want to involve you. He goes, you, you come here. So he came there, and then the mobster pulls up, and then our our very um, strong-looking friend comes out, and 
walks up to the mobster's car, and, and the mobster says to him immediately, he says, what's your badge? He goes, I don't have a badge. He goes, what's your badge? He goes, I don't have a badge. And what he means is, what crime family do you belong to? What, which organization? Right. Right? And because um, our friend looks like a mobster, but he's not, or at least not now, right? And so he says to, to this, our friend says to the mobster, listen, um, what's, your, what's your boss's name? He goes, huh? He goes, I want your boss's name. And he goes, uh, I'm really, really sorry. And it goes into an apology fest. And then the cops show up and then handshaking and they leave. Why? Why did this guy freak out and then completely want to call the whole chase off by simply being asked what his boss's name was? Because uh, mobs, the mob in Japan is legal. It's, they have headquarters. Yeah. In fact, that where I live in Kobe, the largest crime family has their headquarters in our town. Right. And they have this interesting relationship with the power structure and with the police. And basically, it's um, do not touch civilians. Right. If you touch a civilian on the street, we got a problem. Right. And we're going to have to solve this. You stick to your prostitution, your, you know your drug running, your um, construction, <laughs> and other white-collar crime businesses. Yeah. That's okay. You touch grandma, it, it's over. And someone's going to prison, and there's going to be a shakeup. And um, so the society has been running for that for, like that for decades, if not hundreds of years. And I love it because the Japanese recognize that a certain percentage of their population will be criminals. Mm. There is... There's no feeling sorry for them. There's no government program that's needed. There's no therapy that's needed. They just understand there's a class and there's going to be a small percentage who are criminals. So how are we going to keep them under control? Right. We're going to create a corporation of criminals with a management structure. <laughs> with rules that they'll follow. With, with rules right. that will follow and they will go up the ranks. A middle-level manager gets caught you know, trying to take too much off the construction bid. Cops call up and say, you, you know, so-and-so got a little too greedy. We're coming by Thursday with the news media, and, we're, and we, need, we need a body. Mm. And so that manager, his manager gets yelled at by his manager, and then they call up Junior. Right. And they say, it's time for you to make your bones. Right. Go do some time. <laughs> Come do some time. Thursday, and then he comes out. They do the perp walk, and, you know, <laughs> the press says the country is safe again. Human sacrifice. <laughs> And the guy does his does his time, and he comes back, and he gets a promotion, and he and and it's organized. And then the hysterical part is if you talk to a modern crime guy now, a mobster now, management, their biggest complaint is is the youth. Right. Everyone wants to be a lone wolf. Everyone wants his own little side gig, and no one wants to join the company. Right. <laughs> Don't make. Mobsters like they used to. Exactly. Do you know that there's an American guy who's an expert on the Yakuza? Yeah, the author. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting yeah. cat. He's kind of yeah. like you. He just went over there. To, I don't think he even spoke Japanese when he got there, and now he's like, yeah, like the world's leading expert in in that culture. He's a very interesting yes. cat. I read his book, and uh, yeah, he's a very interesting guy. He's from L.A., isn't he? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, West Coast somewhere. I don't remember his name. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take a break and get right. some tea, and we can we can Google him. Um, yeah, it, it's fascinating this this interplay of of 
Well, all right, let's talk. Let's talk about Japanese sexuality because I think okay. that that's an area where the same forces of like on the one side you've got very rule based, very um, repressive in many ways, and yet within that repression, there are extraordinarily kinky uh, manifestations. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, I think that's. And obviously, yeah. I'm no expert on Japanese sure, culture, sure. but that seems to be a theme running through the culture that you've got, you know, extreme attention to rules and regulations mm. and formalities and yada, yada, yada. But then within that very limiting structure, you have these beautiful aesthetics and, and rituals and, and things that have been preserved and refined to a point of just, you know, mind blowing uh, sophistication. And in sexuality, it seems like something. There's this. It, it's almost like random spots are allowed, right? And then, but everything else is is prohibited. It, well, it happens on many levels of the culture, right? So, w- one level is sexuality, but let's say just on the street, because the office environment is so strict, um, like women are not allowed. Not. The, you know, there's exceptions, of course, but your typical company won't doesn't want women uh, dyeing their hair. In fact, ex girlfriend, yeah, really? wanted to dye her hair, couldn't because the office manager said no dyed hair. So there's there's this you know repression there. But then what happens is after work and on the weekends, you see such a wide variety of individual expression that it's extremely refreshing. Um, and the more extreme versions of it, let's say the Harajuku girls, you know, it, it goes international. What's, what's that? Uh, the Harajuku girls, uh, Gwen Stefani has a song about it as well. There's a section, an artistic session, uh, artistic section of, uh, of uh, I guess I shouldn't say artistic, but a fashion district of, uh, of Tokyo where these young girls dress up in extreme, you know, cosplay and um, other fashion sense. In fact, there was a I heard of a guy who was French, and he started just taking photos of the fashion that was resulting in this neighborhood, and the uh, the design houses in France hired him to just send him send them photos of the latest and the most cutting edge. Right, because that's a lot of this stuff starts there, right? Yeah, because yeah. of the because of the, the the repression results in amazing artistic you know, release of that, because it, it, it gets released, and it gets released in very interesting, creative ways. And same with the sexuality. Um, there's not arranged marriages, but there's, you, you know, marriage is more, family is, it, it's a business. You know, you hope that there's love, but, you know, we're creating a family here. Right. And um, I, I don't know, I brought it, I'm a hugger. The, the, yeah. the difference between sex and family is, is explicit in Japanese culture. Am I right? Yeah, generally speaking, yes. Right. So it's yes. not like in the U.S. where you're expected to be attracted to your partner for life, and you know there are mm. all these, you know, people yes. have heard me talk about that forever. But right. in in Japan, it seems like it's a much more sort of realistic. Um, you know, you're going to have your sexual passions, but this is your family, and those are two separate things. Well, it, exactly. Um, you know, if you're 22, you may still be buying the Disney films you grew up with, but right. but very soon the the tra- traditional culture kicks in, and that definitely takes place. By the way, Jake Adelstein That's is it. who we're talking about, and the book is Tokyo Vice. 
Yes, uh, a good reader. Interesting guy, yeah. And, and there, I think I, I read about him in Harper's or The yeah, Atlantic he, or somewhere right. like that, yeah. But it, I, I learned, I'm a hugger and uh, I'm not shy about sharing my feelings with the people I love. And um, when I went to Japan with a Japanese, I visited a Japanese girlfriend's family and she hadn't seen the father. She was raised by the father. The mother uh, was not in the picture. And she hadn't seen him in a couple of years and wouldn't be seeing him in another couple of years. And we've been there for a week. And we're at the airport. And they say goodbye. And it, it, was, it, it struck me on so many levels. First, they didn't hug goodbye. Right? They didn't cry. Nothing. It was very stoic. And, of course, the romantic in me wanted to be outraged and wanted me to judge. Right. But then as soon as we were taxing off, she starts crying, right? And then talking to her about it and then talking to others about it, what I learned is she knew with every fiber of her body and her soul, her father loves her. Right. He knows how much his daughter loves him. And saying, I love you, would ruin that love. Yeah. And I thought, I really have to have an open mind here because what I just saw was beautiful. Right. It was moving. I wanted Beauty, beauty in its minimalism. Precisely. Which, which is a lot of Japanese uh, aesthetic, right? Right. And I, I know foreigners who've been there for a long time and they still can't get their mind wrapped around that. And it's like, no, it's gorgeous. It's, it's beautiful to see that love. It's hard for me to live. But I can appreciate the difference. Right. You know, I, I run into that same thing in Spain, um, not so much with emotion, but with saying thank you and please. Okay. I don't know what it's like in Japan. Maybe it's even worse than in America. But in America, everything is thank you and please. Oh, but could I please have this? Oh, thank you very much. Right. Thank you. Could yes. I please have, could you please pass the salt? Could you right. please pass the pepper? Oh, thank you so much. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I had this Spanish girlfriend, and after a while, she said, would you just stop? Stop. Stop. Like, of course... You need salt. We'll fucking give you salt. You don't need to say please. You don't need to thank us for giving you the goddamn salt, man. You know, you're, you're making us all crazy here. <laughs> and it was like, and it's true, there's, there's an American tendency to make everything explicit. Everything has to be said. You got to talk it out. You know. Right. You know, marriages work. You gotta. You gotta work through it. You gotta talk about everything. You gotta share every goddamn thing that comes out of your ass. Why? Why? There's something very dignified about knowing mm. and not needing to say it. There's something very beautiful about that. I, I Maybe I should have gone to Japan. Yeah. What the hell? Well, yes. I uh, have to define that a little more. So in terms of the language, they, you, know, you, you excuse yourself before you ask, please. <laughs> right, that's funny. <laughs> From a language point of view, right? You know, if you want to be really polite, right. um, and I like that part, but that doesn't mean that you share everything. You know, there's right. public face, private face. Right. There's, you know, you. Uh, I have n- known Japanese people who have worked with their colleagues for years and don't know their first name. Right. Because it's always the last name, you know, San. Right. And 
that would be equivalent to like Mr. Smith, and you just knew Mr. Smith forever. Right. And you wouldn't want to know Mr. Smith's name because he's not your friend, he's your boss. And you've never met his family, and you've no. never like hung out at the weekend. You go out and get shit-faced, and that's where your intimacy happens, right? Well, yeah, for that, the, from what I understand, because I've heard it secondhand, so because the office is so restrictive and you can't talk you know, back to your boss and there's no venting, right. what, it's by design. Then you go out, and then whatever is said drunk is not, it's, forgi- it's all forgiven. Right. It's not remembered the next day. What's the, what happens in Vegas stays in yeah, Vegas. Yeah, what happens right? in the karaoke bar right. stays in the karaoke bar. <laughs> by the yeah. way, that's not a stereotype. They're everywhere. They love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's great times. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you, you know, you sing like you manage, you know. Right. <laughs> That's that's funny. All right. So at this point, I'm going to like fade in a little Frank Sinatra and we're going to take a pause and get some more tea. Beautiful. And we're back with our tea. Um, What were we talking about? I I know we're we're toying, uh, sort of dancing around sexuality there for a while. Mm. So have you ever been to one of these uh, love love motels? I uh, love hotel. Oh, they're hotels. Oh, upper class. Sorry. Sorry. So from what I understand, you drive in and there's like a curtain. So immediately your car is hidden and no one can see your license or anything. And then you go in and it's all sort of set up so you don't have to like actually deal with anyone. And the rooms are themed. There's like a prehistory room. That's the one I would like to go to. Where you've got like your Flintstone outfit, and you know, and then you've got like the back seat of a '57 Chevy, and mm. yeah. So, so what what rooms do you? That, that, uh, that's frequent? that's close. Um, there's actually you know um, an investment fund that you can invest in. That uh-huh. that you know you, you you know whether REITs. You know, there's a special kind of REIT that focuses only on love hotels. Really? Yeah, because it's. It's a good investment. I'll bet. Um, most of them are not themed. Um, they're, usually they're designed. But there's, there are plenty of themed ones. In fact, you can get a tour book or a, a book on, on the themed uh, rooms. Um, but, yeah, there's – and then, of course, you know, Japan is half train culture and half uh, car culture. So the part of Japan where you, you, you would be in a car, then, yeah, you drive in and there's, uh, there's privacy, hide your license and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then for if you're in the train part of the country, i.e. you're walking, then, yeah, you walk in and then um, you can't see through a frosted glass. You can only see hands. And then you go, <laughs> you go to the room and um, – this is kind of strange because you walk in and then the door shuts and it locks. And like, this is the one I went in, uh, one of the ones I went into and it won't let you out until you pay, which in earthquake country freaks me wow, out. Oh yeah. Really? <laughs> he died of starvation in a love hotel. Exactly. Wow, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. eat your partner. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Sushi, I guess. Sushi. <laughs> New definition. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because what happens is um, most Japanese homes are small on square footage, right? Yeah. And what this creates, this creates a whole economy that you don't see a lot in the States. Because you see that in States we have you know the larger homes and yeah. everything's inclusive. But then people get, you know, shut into their homes. Yeah. But what happens when you have a small home, 
then you start getting cabin fever. Right. Now what With ha- rice paper walls, by the well, way. Exactly. So then what happens next is you, people move it to the streets. Then what you have is community. You have action. You have restaurants. You have inter- all sorts of entertainment, right? And so this is where, it's, where I really enjoy it. And then you get, you know, um, for us men... We, world-class eye candy you yeah know? i mean the women dress up and it's 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 it's, it's fantastic yeah life is same thing in spain when i first got to spain uh i remember walking back to my apartment at night and i would you know if i was out drinking f- with friends or whatever and come home two in the morning or something i'd see you know if i walked 15 blocks i'd probably see three or four couples having sex right you know either in a doorway or in the back of a car or you know in the little park on a bench whatever just you know fucking and i remember thinking man i i had lived in manhattan i'd lived in san francisco i'd lived in big cities before so it wasn't about cities but i remember thinking these spanish are passionate <laughs> holy cow and then later I, I came to realize like no they all live with their parents you know <laughs> or they're too cheap for a love hotel <laughs> well, the, the, yeah exactly well and the same with the, yeah exactly that's why the love hotel because you can't the homes are small. Yeah. And, and what that means is, I mean, obviously you can make love in any size room, but then you, all your intimate effects are out. Right. right? There's, there's no hiding your intimate yeah. effects into another room. Right. Right. So uh, then you go in and you go into the love hotel and, of course, they're impeccably clean. And the part that I love, it, this part so Japanese, is there's all the amenities that you need, especially for, for the female side, to put yourself back together so that when you go to your next appointment uh, to say you're doing a you know a lunch or you go back to work or you, you're doing this after work but before dinner with mm. friends or after dinner but before you go back to the house you got to look so there's like makeup and stuff yeah, yeah, not actual makeup but um uh you know there's like hair bungees you know to keep your hair back so it doesn't get wet uh-huh. and you know all these little accoutrements <laughs> so that you can put yourself back together so no one knows right right yeah, it's it's a fascinating place. Have you ever seen that uh, penis festival? Uh, yeah, there's one that gets made on the, the that makes it on the news yeah. a lot. But there's a lot of temples where right. you know th- th- that's worshipped, right? Um, and yet, so, now see, here's the perfect example of what we're talking about. You, you've got these villages that celebrate the penis every, once mm. a year, the phallus. They parade in the streets. They've got the penis floats, and mm. they've got little popsicles or, or um, what are they called? Lollipops for right. kids that are shaped like the penis. Penis, penis, penis everywhere. And it's all completely out in the open. It's not nasty and weird or kinky or right. anything. And yet, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that you cannot make a dildo or a vibrator in Japan that looks like a penis. It's illegal, which is why all the Japanese sex toys look like something else. They look like a little man in a boat with a dog. They look like, you know, like, you know, a duck. They, they, they're all these things. They look like everything except a dick because it's illegal to make a sex toy that looks like a dick. Well, yeah, I need to get confirmation on this. And um, obviously I'm a, 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 in that industry there. And so I, you're I, in the Dick production. Yeah, industry? yeah. Well, the adult entertainment business, so I can get confirmation of this, but what I'm curious about is maybe not the actual object, but it's the, you can't advertise it. You can't put it on a box. The, well, even in porn, they, they fuzz out the erect penis. Well, right? well no, it's just genitalia, male or female. Uh, so genitalia is not allowed. It's extremely 
strict. They were loosening up before this right-wing government moved in, and now it's getting really strict. Right. And so, yeah, showing genitalia um, is strictly prohibited. You can't export it. You can't import it. You can't do anything. Why do you think that is? It's it's that, again, it's the extremes, right? Because... Anyone who knows anything about the extremes in the adult video business there, it, it, the gamut, I mean, I don't know if any anyone can touch it, even in the States. I mean, some In of terms it, of what? Kinkiness? Well, it's not, it goes from um, disturbing, right, to how is that even legal? Like a lot of, a lot of stuff involving either young girls or women who look like young girls. Well, right? well... I wouldn't say a lot, but there's an element of that. But there's these extreme elements, and then right. there's, you know, beautiful, very artistic, you know, uh, adult entertainment for women, right? Or it, whatever you want, it's there. And is it produced in Japan? Yes, by Japanese for Japanese. But you can't show the male. You can't show genitalia. Right. And it's like some, you know. After the war and then when this stuff, you know, TV came along and theaters come along and they're like, well, we, we can't stop it, but we got to maintain our dignity, hmm. right? And this is somehow, you know, this is how they're going to hang on to the dignity, right? which is don't show genitalia and then everything is fine. Right. So you can have porn that depicts... A motorcycle gang raping a five-year-old as long as you don't show their genitalia. Yeah, the children thing, thing that's changed, I mean, especially um, something like that. But let's say in uh, a 20-year-old, mm. yeah. Um, or Cause the uh, whole on the schoolgirl f- thing. Well, on the is... schoolgirl thing, it's, it's, it's teasing. So you'll see... Um, and because of the Olympics, the, the memo went out and now they've moved all this stuff that used to be in the front to the back. Uh, so like the vending machine selling girls' panties in the train uh, station. The, 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 not, no, that's not common. Uh, okay. Does it? You can't say nothing happens in Japan because right. everything happens in Japan. But just because <laughs> it happens in one or two places right. doesn't mean it happens yeah. throughout sure. Japan. And, and right? just because it, it's the thing that gets picked up by foreign press doesn't mean it's typical exactly. of the culture. Sure. Um, is it possible to buy a magazine that has a 10-year-old girl in a wet bathing suit? Yes. Mm. Is it getting harder and harder to produce and make? Yes. Uh, is it in every 7-Eleven? No. <laughs> you right. know. Right. Uh, does my girlfriend or my girlfriend's mother, my girlfriend's father uh, at the time um, approve of it? Absolutely not. Uh-huh. Because you know, when it comes to sexuality, the West versus Japan, this is why I tell people. So, you know, there's that Sting song. The Russians love their mother. You know, Russians love their children too. Remember mm. that from the '80s during the nuclear thing. Uh, I, I boycotted Sting in the '80s. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. So, a Japanese mother with her daughter and a, a Western mother with her daughter have a similar conversation. Okay, you're coming of age, you're becoming a sexual being soon, men are going to be looking at you, you're going to you know, have these urges, you're going to want to do these things. So as your mother, you need to know the following. I don't want you sleeping around for the following reasons. 
One, boys have sex for different motivations than you do. You're going to probably break your heart, so you be careful. Okay? If you want to sleep with them, that's fine. The second thing is sexual diseases, right? You've got to be careful, right? Um, baby, men don't get pregnant. Girls get pregnant. That's going to be a problem, so you've got to be careful, right? Also, your reputation matters, right? And our family reputation matters. So these are the reasons why you need to be cautious and and, and and that happens on both sides of the Pacific. But that's where a Japanese mother stops. If you do all these things, take all these things in consideration, enjoy your natural sexuality. Mm. But understand that reputation is important in our society. Understand that boys are different. Understand of sexual disease. And understand having a baby when you're 18 is a problem. Mm-hmm. All right? Understand that. You take all that under consideration. Enjoy yourself. But in the West, and maybe especially in the past, oh, and by the way, it's a sin. Right. I've told this to Japanese people, and they, they literally start laughing because they think I'm making it a joke. Yeah. And I say, no, it's a joke. It's real. And then the conversation suddenly stops, and they don't want to talk any about, it, about it anymore because they're repulsed, physically repulsed by the idea that sexuality would send you to hell. Right. And, you know, because... In the West, especially in the States, a lot of people say, well, I'm not a Christian anymore. But you just said you're not a Christian. You just said you don't believe. It's in the air. Right. You're, right? De- you're defining yourself against it. As a negative. It's still there, yeah. Of but course. in Japan, you don't, there is no negative. You don't define yourself as, I don't believe in this. Right. It's, Shintoism really has nothing to do, nothing to say about sexuality per se, does it? Right. And then, you know, the, uh, and then 250, I believe 250 years ago, the... Um, uh, the missionaries were causing trouble in Japan, right? And um, the uh, they uh, crucified twenty six of them, and then closed their borders for two hundred years, and then literally, <laughs> literally, and yeah. you know, I that's one of the reasons I love Japan because there is no Christian thinking there. Yeah, like less than one percent of the population is Christian, but in terms of culture, they run on a whole different dynamic. Yeah. And I, 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 I was just attracted to that. So, yeah, understandably, it's something that I think is. I think it's actually impossible for someone born and raised in the U.S. to to wrap their head around unless they've experienced it. Because, as you say, even if you're not Christian, people from this country, raised in this country, don't understand how pervasive a certain shame-based vision of life is. Whether you explicitly, whether you go to church to hear it on Sunday or Mm -hmm. not, you're hearing it. You're hearing it all around. You're feeling it. You're catching it in the the glares of angry old ladies at the grocery store. You're catching it on TV. You know, the things that are expressed and things that are not expressed— it's it's all around. It's, you know, the fish are the last to notice the water, right? And <laughs> right. It, it's the same sort of thing. Like, you're breathing it. You're absorbing it through your skin. And until you're in a place where that invisible substance is missing, it's impossible for you to recognize it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, right. Because, well, like, well, if you're... To take that analogy, let's just say you're a fish, and it's like, you know, you, you talk to your friends, your fellow fish, and you say... Yeah, life can't exist outside the water. That's silly. And then you find out there's birds. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, yeah, they can fly and they breathe air. And it's like, 
that's a whole different way of living. And then when you go to a culture where there's no Christian thought, there's no, you know, there's no boogeyman, you know, there's no one looking over your shoulder, then it's refreshing. But on the same hand, at the same hand, they, they, on the other hand, they have um, the traditional family home has pictures of their relatives up on the wall. Yeah. And they're looking down at you. Right. And they, you know, um, they believe that their relatives are always watching and always right. there to help you. Right. So, but having sex, they're not worried about having sex at all because of the forefathers, but not doing something right by the family, you know, you're being judged not just by your immediate parents, but by your, you know, your ancestors right. as well. So how does that affect you being a Western man in Japan dealing with women? Mm. Are, I mean, for example, I know you made the point earlier, you'll never be Japanese no matter how long you live there, no matter what. Mm. Now, is there a sense that for women, it's like cool to to hang out with a Western guy and, and have a fling or whatever, but, you know, they're not going to marry you. Right. You're, you're a, you know, a diversion, but you're not going to, ne- you're never going to be invited into the family. You're never, they're not going to have little kids with you. Is, is that a feeling or? Well, yeah, it's, it's layered, right? So um, post immediately after World War II, let's say during the 60s, let's say during the 80s, um, different generation, Different different stories. You can listen to old timers, and it was a completely different Japan. So I can just speak to what I've experienced to say in the last ten years. So yes, generally there's a you know you can um, I'm happy to be friends with you, but don't marry my daughter, right? So there's that. Um, if, in terms of male female, the way I look at it, a third of Japanese women um, are interested in at least having an adventure or dealing with a foreign man. And if it, and then a third would, uh, and they learn English, by the way, a third of those women of the women learn English or at least a, enough so that maybe one day they could, you know, have a, an experience with a foreign man. But then a third, another third will say, well, I'm not learning English, but if you speak Japanese well enough and you want to talk to me, yeah, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. Mm. Um, but probably nothing's ever going to happen because I probably want Japanese babies and I really don't, you know, want to bring you home. And then there's another third um, that it doesn't matter if you speak Japanese or not. No, it's just not going to happen. Right. They're they're deeply embedded in Japanese society and anything exactly. outside is it because uh, they they're thinking in terms yeah. of hey I am just one generation of a long generation of my family right I mean we're talking hundreds if not thousands of years family names yeah you know businesses that have been open for five hundred years right you know that so you run into that part of the culture and then let's say of that the first third let's say uh, ten fifteen percent of that are the type of Japanese people who are who f- who love their culture but find it difficult on a daily basis and they want to leave Japan and they do leave Japan like the expats of right, Japan right and they go to a foreign country and they well they have a name they're called bananas mm-hmm. uh, and they they become westernized right and in fact some of those who become westernized and then they go back to Japan have difficulty finding jobs because 
bosses come right out and say, you've been westernized, i.e. you are a troublemaker now, and you, if we're going to give you a job, it's not going to be an important job. Right. So they are the types that then you know become fluent in English, become westernized, and they don't mind at all bringing you know their foreign boyfriend back home because they're already out of the game. Yeah, and they're rebels, and you know, right? You know what? And and then, well, either they're rebels or their family, they got this uh, international added, uh, outlook on life from their family, uh-huh. and so the family's like, you know, if you're in love with a foreigner, you're in love with a foreigner, right? You know, and they're fine with that. So, you know. Um, but that wouldn't be the general rule. But then if the daughter gets too old, like over 30, um, then, then it opens up. Then parents are like, oh, my worst nightmare. Better a foreigner than nobody But it's all. a baby. I will yeah. be a grandmother. Right. I'll deal with this. <laughs> all right. How much are those, how much are those English lessons? <laughs> oh. Well, so it's tough to be a parent. I remember reading something about like there was this whole thing about Japanese women hanging out around U.S. military bases and fucking the black dudes, and there was like a, a whole sort of like bar special bars where they'd go to meet black American guys. You heard about that? Um, I've heard about it. Um, again, it's how can I put it? It's it, everything happens in Japan, right? If you can conceive of it. It's happening somewhere. Okay, which, which uh, you know, let's confront the elephant in the room here. Mm. Um, I've got a, a theory about mm. why Japanese women make that whiny sound when they're having sex. <laughs> let's hear it. Now, is, first of all, is it true that that's a cultural uh, phenomenon? Every Japanese porn thing I've ever seen, which, you know, isn't millions, but... Probably tens of thousands. <laughs> no, I don't know, uh, but you know, every every time I've ever seen a Japanese woman having sex, uh, in you know, she's like, oh, 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 like making that same noise, right? Which my theory is that that's a response to a widespread insecurity among Japanese men about penis size. And so the women are making the sound like, oh my god, that's so big, you're hurting me. Because that soothes the Japanese male ego, which is terrified that, in fact, she's hardly feeling a thing. Well, according to the women who say that size doesn't matter, that would invalidate the argument. <laughs> They're lying. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. But we know you're lying. <laughs> no. Well, this is, you know... A well, chick- also size, you know, what I find interesting about these discussions of penis size is mm. it, it's almost always about length. Everybody's talking about length. And from the women I've spoken to, length is not really that important. It's girth. Also, to get scientific about it, most of the nerve endings are at the opening. So the girth is going to be more stimulating. And in fact, way back at the back of the vagina, you know, there's not much that you're going to feel anyway. Most women will say, you can do something about length. You can't do anything about girth. You know what can you do about length? He, like he cannot an extension. Put, no, or no, no. I mean, if he's too long, oh, he oh. can control that. Oh, I see what you're saying. And right. you know, go as far as she finds it pleasurable, and stop right. where it becomes uh, uncomfortable. Right. But with girth, um, yeah, that's a, that, that's much more difficult to, to manage. Girth Brooks, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great, great penis nickname exactly. right there. <laughs> then to bring it back to your point, I know this is a chicken and egg thing. The the noise. The bedroom noise. Hmm. I don't know enough if this was pre, you know, pre pornography, pre TV. Hmm. 
I don't know if this is cultural. Right. I don't know if they started doing that in movies just for entertainment. Uh, right. Because spread. I mean, how many Western women scream, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, on a daily basis. Right. So, uh, the noises that you make, but then was it in TV and film? And then women started hearing it and started mimicking it. Right. It's an interesting question that I, I don't have enough, you know. What's well, like the pussy shaving thing? How did right. that start? You know, right. apparently somewhere in the 80s, somebody sent out a memo like, okay, everybody <laughs> shave your pussies. You right. know? Well, you know, it's funny about that in Japan. You, you'll appreciate this. So the public baths, the onsens, the, the sentos, there's all different layers in there everywhere throughout Japan. is my favorite <laughs> My favorite experience in Japan. I right. love going to the public bath. Right. Um, my f- first time I visited my serious girlfriend's family, we went to see the family, and um, they said, "Okay, he's fine. He's a good guy. It's time to go to the to, to the public baths because they would always go. Dad right. loved it." And so we went to the public baths. The women went off to the other side, and this is when I knew zero Japanese. And the boys, her brother and her father. Um, went into the male side and of course I had to follow in right and they get butt naked right and we go in and I'm like wow I'm butt naked with the brother and the father of my girlfriend I can't say a damn word to them (laughs) (laughs) but what was interesting is I found it really comfortable right and then then in the same time there was a young Japanese girl uh I don't know maybe seven in the men's side, because obviously dad wanted to do the Ofero, and mom either didn't want to deal with her or mom wasn't around. So she was on the men's side. So the seven-year-old's running around a bunch of naked men, old men. But here's the thing. There was nothing creepy about it. Of course, yeah. The father was so relaxed, he right. was letting her run around. Right. The thought that anyone would bring harm to this girl right. was repulsive. Right. And I thought, there's the freedom. The freedom to be able to allow a little girl who doesn't understand what she's seeing yeah. to run around. And the thought that someone would do harm to her wasn't even a thought. Yeah. And I was like, wow. You know. And that, that gets, you know, that relates to what we were saying earlier about this um, sort of all-pervasive sense of shame in the air. I find that here in the U.S. It's you and I were talking earlier, both of us having lived outside of the country for a long time, but it is our native culture so we feel it we recognize things you know on a very deep level when i'm back here i mean in spain if there's a little kid running around you're you're completely free and expected to engage with the kid right kid and you know Mm. tossle her hair or his hair or whatever or you know whatever it's cool it's a kid whatever it's cool here in this country i i'd sort of naturally respond to a kid and i I feel afraid. I feel like, wait a minute, somebody's going to think I'm a fucking rapist or something. You know, there's this there's this presumption of evil here. Well, Bill Burr, the famous stand-up comedian, yeah. has a whole routine on this. He goes, uh-huh. I love kids. I love, you know, playing little games with them on the airplane and whatever. And he says, but nowadays, he goes, it's like, get that little toxic thing away from me because... You're going to get me arrested. You're going to get me arrested. Yeah. Th- that... Yeah, that's, and that's not good. What's well, the same with flirtation? You know, uh, I mean, what in Spain? You know, people have heard me talk about this ad nauseum, but like recognizing the physical beauty of a woman is not in any way insulting. Right? You can be a creep, of course. Of course. You know, if you're a creep, 
But I, I was in Spain last week and I had lunch with my uh, my buddy who's a lawyer, and, and he was talking about we were talking about that aspect of culture, and he said a friend of his. Uh, who's also a lawyer, very, very smart guy, got a job in New York. You know, they he was like the top guy in Madrid, and then they flew him to New York. And so he's this high-powered lawyer making, you know, you know, close to a million dollars a year. And one day he gets called down to uh, Human Resources, and the guy sits to me and says, Listen, I know you're from Spain. I know things are different in Spain. And so you're not going to be fired today (laughs) but i need to tell you i've got five sexual uh assault complaints on my desk about you and you've only been here a month (laughs) (laughs) he's just getting warmed warmed up up. and he said you know and the guy uh, told my friend he's like you know what he had said it was like you know you said to on tuesday the 12th you said to so and so uh, that 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 outfit, um, you know, she looked lovely in that outfit. Mm. And on uh, you know the fourteenth, you said to someone, "If you wear that skirt every morning, I'll come to work early." And <laughs> you know, and he went down the list of things that he had said to women in the firm. This guy starts starts to uh, needs to start tweeting his compliments because these are great. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you wear exactly. this. I'm coming to work early. Well, come on. Well, and, <laughs> and in Spain, see, this is the thing, and. and I know people are going to get pissed off at me for saying this, uh, but the truth is, in Spain, you could say something like that, and nobody is ever going to be insulted. Mm-hmm. There's, in fact, in, in Spanish, it's very common to call someone guapo or guapa, which means mm-hmm. good looking. Okay. And you can say that to a little kid. Mm-hmm. Oye, guapa, venga aquí. Come here, little. Come here, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Or you can say that to a 90 year old lady, mm-hmm. and it's never wrong. Right. It's always taken as it just feels good. Somebody calls you beautiful. It's just that's all it is. It doesn't mean we're going to fuck later. It doesn't mm. mean I want your number. It doesn't mean I'm a creep. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a free little bit of energy that you give to each other and everybody feels better at the end of it. And that's the way flirting happens in Spain. Now, as I said, some people go too far. There is sexual abuse. There is rape. There's, you know, all sorts of nastiness. But not as much as there is here. Well, we were lamenting uh, this earlier about having adult conversations in the States is very difficult versus being able to have adult conversations overseas. And what what does that mean? It means context. It means... um, Paying a woman a compliment who took the time, by the way, to right. to dress in a certain way right. to elicit a, a compliment does not mean that she wants anything more than a compliment. And adults, adult men, gentlemen, understand that a compliment is that that's it. Right. But that's what adults can do. And that if you go beyond that, you're no longer an adult. Right. You are now... Uh, an uncivilized adult right. that needs to be reprimanded and trained, especially by the other men, which is you're screwing it up for us. Right. That's not acceptable, right? Um, yeah, Patrice O'Neill, another stand-up comedian who has had a big influence on me. You did know, you God turn me song. on to him? Uh, Early on, I, I think you did. I did. And I went I and listened to his, some of his stuff. It was fantastic. Yeah. I had never really listened to him before. Yeah, especially his special elef- Elephant in the Room. Right. In the room. And... Yeah, he was spot on about all the, this um, uh, sexual tension in the office. 
because I'm old, old school in that um, if you want to be taken seriously in the office, dress that way. Because showing your sexual, you know, showing off the features, like cleavage in the office to me, I don't understand how that's even allowed. Hmm. That, that is not asexual. Cleavage is not asexual, not a culture on the, I mean, you're the expert, you can tell me what culture is cleavage and breast, not some part of sexuality. Well, lots of hunter-gatherer societies don't see breasts as, as genitalia. Right, so but I said cleavage, not breast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they're not wearing wonder bras in Botswana, you know? <laughs> when you can see the whole breast for decades and decades, yeah. it becomes asexual. Right, right. And breastfeeding is ubiquitous. So it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> right. So. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, and that gets to your point that the whole purpose of a bra mm. is to sexualize the breast because it's creating cleavage. It's mimicking the the look of the young pert breasts of a woman at the beginning of her reproductive years and so if you follow the sort of evolutionary justification or argument for for the whole purpose of of breasts mm. because they have nothing i mean everybody thinks oh the breasts are all about feeding babies well you don't need fat deposits mm. to feed babies you know every other mammal does just fine without bouncy pert breasts right so the the breast the human breast is clearly a signaling device and it's clearly about sexuality and you know because just to put a finer point on that so if i'm in a meeting with a businesswoman i want to look into her eyes and have a you know human to human conversation i want to know if this is the right sales price i don't want to have to think don't look don't look (laughs) Because when I'm talking with a man, I don't think don't look, don't look. Right. Right. So, and it's like, well, if you were if you were this, this, and this, you wouldn't look. No, that's like telling advertisers <clears throat> why advertise because advertising doesn't work. If you advertise something, it works. And to be told as a man that that's not really what's going on is an insult. Again, back to the adult conversation. That's an insult to everyone's intelligence. We. But it know. sounds like you're arguing in favor of burkas here. Mm, no. Fucking <laughs> terrorist. <laughs> yeah. No, not the burkas. Yeah, when I travel and I see the burkas, it really it so, really bothers me. So no, no cleavage, but no burkas either. In the office. I've heard that... In the office. I, on the street. Show it all you want, ladies. I, I'll enjoy the eye candy all day long, but in the do office. You know, do you know which Victoria's Secret has the, the greatest sales volume, according to some guy I met on an airplane? <laughs> 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 Some guy I met on an airplane who worked at Victoria's Secret. Saudi Arabia. London. Okay. I don't think there is an outlet in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I saw one in, in, a, in, a, uh, in Dubai or something? No, yeah, but they don't sell any lingerie. Uh. I, I think I tweeted it. Where was I? I forget where I was. You know, there were, uh, you know, ha- well, this is Asia. pajamas? Yeah, they were half, half burkas, you know, because the, there's a kind that... The full burqa, and I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know the actual term for where, the headscarf, I guess yeah. that's the way. Shador? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, yeah, yeah. but they were selling uh, cosmetics and uh, other okay. and fragrances. Right. And so they know the brand. Yes. Well, what he told me was that the London store had the, the highest uh, volume of all their chains, or of all their outlets, and it was primarily because of women from the Middle East who would fly in Muslim women, and they would just buy the place out. (laughs) 
and that what they're doing, these hot women walking around with the the you know full body cover, were wearing just drop dead hot lingerie underneath. Well, I thought that there's a scene in <laughs> Sex in the City movie. I don't know which movie it was. Girlfriend took me, um, but it was a good movie. Where there's a scene where they, the, it's the girls are alone, uh-huh. right? The New York girls are alone with with the I believe a Saudi Arabian women and. Off came the burkas because they don't have to be in burkas amongst each other. Right. And they were dressed to the nines, all you know, comp- yeah. all the latest fashions and everything. Yeah. And I thought that was just a movie cliche, you know, just a movie idea. And it turns out, no. No, I think. <laughs> it well, and it, it gets back to what we're talking about in Japanese society. I think there is definitely there's there's an element where there's repression creates a certain amount of pressure, and then that pressure explodes with greater force because of the repression. Absolutely. Which brings us to Fukushima. Were you in Japan when that shit blew? Yes, I was. Uh, I know exactly where I was. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I was in Tokyo, 11th floor. 11th floor. And and you heard it on the news, or someone called you? Well, Fukushima or the earthquake? The tsunami, yeah. Well, the earthquake, yeah. The earthquake. Because... Uh, being, I've grown up and spent all my life basically around the Ring of Fire. I'm no stranger to earthquakes. Right. But this one, um, I had to grab onto the wall because it was about to knock me to the floor. Really? Yeah. So it was a, and that was all the way in Tokyo, because, um, yeah. So the Fukushima thing is it's it's upsetting for all the obvious reasons, but one is, um, is building codes <laughs> got buried. The lead got buried. It was a 9.0 earthquake right off the coast of the fifth largest city in Japan. It was so strong that it, you know, like I said, almost knocked me down in a building in in Tokyo. There was not a single building collapse. Mm. There were facades that broke off. Right. 6.0 earthquakes have leveled complete cities throughout the rest of the world. Right. A 9.0. Right. And buildings stood. Right. It was... It was Japan's that's finest that's a, moment. That's a good point. I've never, I've never read that mm. angle, like because it's all about how fucking terrible it was, of right. course, with good right. reason. But you're right. That's a that's a hell of a testament to building codes and architecture and the bureaucracy that enforced that stuff. Well, and exactly, and it goes, you know, to my, you know, um, b- businessmen irritate me. Um, not from a socialist or uh, not a political point of view, but I know that businessmen complained about the building regulations. Oh, the cost to the building. Oh, this, oh, that, oh, this. Well, how about this? Because of that, because of the building codes, society kept on going and had a large part of the, of the, of the country collapsed and all the deaths and the infrastructure fell down. Right. The cost to your business would be un- – I mean, you couldn't even calculate it. Yeah. Right? So – and all that got buried because of the other extreme, which is the greed. The politicians are in, are in bed with the electrical company. They're one and the same. They go back and forth. Right. They cut corners. You know, yeah. GE, the American company, was involved. And they decided to build a you know nuclear power plant right off – a, a coastal floodplain, right? And then had the nerve to say, "How could we ever know?" And they had the, the, the what, what is it? The 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 bath where, where the the cooling tanks, 
on the ocean side. Are on the ocean side, well, and they're the, elevated. Well, the backup power was on the the backup power that would have helped protect the tanks was on the ocean side. Right. So it got swamped. All those generators right. got wiped out. Instead of putting it on the other side of the large complex to help protect it from the wave. Yeah. But and then the the thing that killed me was they say they didn't know. Well, except all up and down the coast, there are big boulders, and in these boulders is are carved. 300 plus year carvings that are written in ancient Japanese. And do you know what it says? Do not build below this line. Really? The whole area was, it's been known for hundreds of years that every now and then, every hundred years comes a big tsunami and they decide to build a nuclear power plant there and then claim they didn't know. We didn't know. Well, it seems your forefathers did. Everybody knew. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, that's Japan there for you, right? On one side, a part of the of the of the power structure can get away with poisoning and bombing basically their own country, and on the other side, the building regulations are so tight that there's no collapsing on a 9.0 building right. or a 9.0 uh, earthquake. It's incredible. Yeah. So what what's going on now? Do you know? I I know. You know. It's sort of the whole issue has disappeared from international media attention. But my understanding is it's not under control. It's still leaking incredible radiation into the ocean. Well, our government taught them well How they and bury it. They passed a secrecy law. Uh huh. And suddenly. <laughs> Nobody hears about it. Suddenly, the updates started trickling and trickling and trickling, and then yeah. what? What Fukushima? Right. What leaks? What problems? What people dying from cancer who went in there, you know, in the first wave to try to? Oh, and by fix the way, uh, they say there was no direct deaths. Uh, no, there were due to the panic and the moving of uh, people. Like there was a lot of elderly people that had to be moved um, from there hospice care right. or whatever they died right yeah and people are still living in in these temporary camps from my understanding yeah, three years later from, yeah yeah no it's yeah they're never going back right it's well again they shouldn't yeah but they will given the chance they they love where they they love where they live and yeah. the, the ties are so strong that they will go back yeah you know yeah. so yeah it's 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 messy, messy, messy. So, um, yeah. So how's, how's your Japanese? Do you speak fluently? Um, no. My Japanese is... Uh, I have many skills. Language acquisition isn't one of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm up there with you, man. For any language, by the way. Because um, no, Japanese comes in, basically, really simply put, two layers. Conversational and then newspaper level. Yeah. Conversational... If you have any language ability and you study for three months, you can have conversations with your friends. You're not going to be able to read and write, but you're going to be able to have conversations, dinner conversations, mm. and people will understand you. And you can understand? And you can understand them. Huh. Um, it's not, their language is not tonal, like, say, oh, Chinese. Right, right? Right. So there's no, you don't have to deal with that. Right. Beyond that, and then you start getting into you know, the, the language you use in business versus family versus right. this. Then it gets complicated. Um, I was once with a bunch of Japanese friends, and I asked them a hypothetical. I said, if I was having dinner, and this was back when uh, we, President Bush was in office, I said, if I'm having dinner with the President of the United States, and I said, um, and I wanted the salt, 
I would, I would say to, I would say, Mr. President, would you mind passing the salt? And I said, so in Japanese, because we were talking about polite forms, the longer it is, the more polite it is. I go, so if you're with the emperor, how would you say, please pass the salt? <laughs> and everyone has this weird look on their face. <laughs> and then they literally go into a committee meeting, right? Oh, the really? Japanese committee meeting. <laughs> it was hysterical to watch. And they're talking and talking and talking. And then they break like a jury. And then, you know, my friend, well, they're all my friends, but the one who thought he was closest to me, like the jury foreman, came out to give me the verdict. And he said, we would never ask the emperor <laughs> To pass assault, so we don't have the language for it. Oh, uh, really? And I said, nice. that is brilliant. That yeah. is absolutely brilliant. That says so much about the culture. Yeah, there's no word for it. Because we wouldn't even think of asking the emperor to pass the salt. <laughs> Let alone there's no salt on the Japanese table. Yeah. I know. Oh, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Well, listen, do you want to send people to your website? Because we haven't really talked about your 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 work i don't even know what the hell you do for work really i know you set up this website i know you ran the restaurant but you mentioned something earlier about being in the adult entertainment business right well sort of you're a pimp because <laughs> that, that that would explain the big hat with the feather well they, but then i also have a restaurant right so um all right well then i'll, I'll uh, be brief about what i do um so of course your book had a big influence on me because i how can I put it? You're like a prism or a crystal, right, in my life because I had all these thoughts, right? You didn't plant original thoughts, mm. but you crystallized them. You brought all these thoughts into focus, and then I was able to articulate them, right? So then, of course, we were um, talking about the project and then coming here for today, and I'm like, how can I be clear about what I do? <laughs> because, and... Uh, I was in a taxi, and he asked me what I did, and I stumbled because I didn't know what to do. And it's like, so I turned to the people I trust, and I was like, I got a problem. I don't know how to answer. What do you do, right? Well, my my understanding is you made a bunch of money with that startup you mentioned, yeah. and so you've been free to sort of float around and do whatever the fuck basically, you wanted. Well, basically, that, yeah, that's good work. Yeah, if you but, can get but it. not yeah. a million, not a, not a Silicon millionaire, or, or but uh, comfort, you know, yeah. okay for now. So. Again, because of you, I've been able to crystallize what I do. And my answer now, because it's the truth, is I'm an artist. And my website is my art project. Hmm. Because I'm a horrible businessman. Just terrible. I'm not a businessman. <laughs> and my art project is kind of like functional. It is. It's functional art. It's split into two halves. And it's called Organic Couples organiccouples.com, organic couples cooking up better sex. Mm-hmm. Um, half of the website is dedicated how to cook step-by-step meals, seductive meals, tended for lovers, right? Very specialized. And I'm the one giving the lessons. But I'm not a chef. I'm not... A, I take that... I have been... Bless, I have a privilege of being around some amazing chefs through my life. They've invited me into their kitchens, and um, I take the title chef very, very seriously. And I'm not a chef. I'm a cook, and I like to teach. Um, But I'm not a professional educator. I'm not an academic. Mm -hmm. But cooking and cooking seductively is a deep passion of mine. 
Another deep passion of mine is erotica and, and slow sex. I don't have any problem with fast sex, and I don't think all sex should be slow. But when it's time to do slow sex, you don't go to the tube sites and get an education on how to do sex slow. You can learn how to grab her hair. You can learn how to do it hard and fast. There's plenty of examples out there. But what I saw was there's not very many examples on how to slow it way down. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a woman, generally speaking, wants all of it. She wants the whole spectrum of it. And I don't need to teach the whole spectrum of it. But on this our site, Organic Couples, I am teaching how to slow things down. Right. Because it's my specialty. It's what I like to do. But I'm, I'm no Nina Hartley. I'm not a... I'm not a uh, um, and the women that we make these films with are in the uh, adult entertainment business. But I'm not a pornographer. and that, Not that I have a problem with that, but I don't have a business that's, you know, in the pornography business. Right. So... I'm not a businessman. I don't have this. I, but, but, <laughs> but even like you, you, you said, you know, I went to your site. I saw it. I get it. But how do you describe it to a third party? Right. And, and basically that's what art is, right? Art is you can't really explain it. When you see it, you understand it. Right. So you, you alluded to it earlier that, yes, I believe that it's to be really good at slow sex, you need to develop a sense, a sense of your of, of your partner. Right. Um, a, a woman, you know, I, I like to say, you know, a woman changes not every day, but every hour, right? What she needs sexually is always in flux. And a good lover is someone who can, you know, tune in to what she, what she needs and wants at the moment. And I said this, this to an, an Italian chef, um, who, was who really liked my project because she was writing a book on guilt-free sex and guilt-free cooking. Mm. And she, so I said, a woman's different every hour. And she goes, no, every minute. And yeah. I go, I'll quote you on that. Cause I, <laughs> right. Yeah. And to be in tune with that, that's what would make you a good lover when it comes to slow sex. But how do you teach sense? It's difficult enough in this ADD world of ours to show slow sex. And we show very slow sex. Um, and in the hopes that those who really want to learn will watch it, right? right? But it's a terrible business model because what you really want is three-minute clips of hard and fast sex. Right. That's a business. But we show it slow. We show it nearly real-time slow. But how do I teach sense? Well, in my personal life, what I did, how I developed my sense was in the kitchen because you need to really listen both with you know with your nose with your ears mm -hmm. with your tongue with your hands with your sight um learning that the vegetables that I'm sautéing right now does not mean that they will sauté the same tomorrow because it's a different batch of vegetables it could be the same broccoli but it ain't the same broccoli that you bought the day before right it may be th five seconds faster, maybe five seconds slower, and you have to develop this sense right. and multitasking. Right? You got the vegetables going, you got the meats going, you got company coming, you got, and then, you know, you got to bring it all together. You got to right. start seasoning. You got to do all this, right. and you develop a sense. And I, you know, they and say you got to be relaxed while you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You got to keep your composure the entire time, and then especially with doing slow sex. Um, she can take a long time, right? And you got all sorts of things going on. You got to have that composure, 
that confidence because you know if a woman goes 35 45 minutes in slow you know in a slow section uh, session and to me that's fast i mean i go two or three hours right but i'm not normal right so i see why you were quoting sting earlier exactly right so um you got to have the confidence to know that you that this is going to end well and you get that same confidence out of the kitchen where you're starting to cut the vegetables and then all of a sudden you smell something burning and then you got to save it and oh my god it's too salty or it's not as salt and you and you have these moments of terror as as a cook and even yeah. professionals have these moments but then through experience you bring it all together and then you put it on the plate and then you don't apologize and it's good and you take that confidence and you apply it in the bedroom and then you have uh, i think a really good a really good life because you know what glues the food is the glue that binds the family together and i think that's the same true for couples mm. um so if you cook, you know, ahead of time, you're going to have a better session of sex afterwards. And if you follow my site, you'll learn what to cook and what not to cook. Because certain foods are good before sex, and certain foods are terrible before sex. Or you go right into the sex, and then you know you want to cook for her because my site's not a pickup site. This is not how to meet women. This is when you've fallen in love, when you've got a girlfriend, when you want to be a good boyfriend. When you hit, when you're there, when you say, I want to be a good boyfriend, you're going to find it in the kitchen and in the bedroom. Hmm. All your other faults will be forgiven if she can tell her <laughs> girlfriend. And I know because I have true. my faults. I, you know, yeah. I work too hard. I work too long. And, but I cook and I do the so slacks and all the, all my girlfriends, previous girlfriends have all said the same thing that that's enough right <laughs> that could, th- th- there's a lot of forgiveness there yeah no i think you're right it's it's uh it's a natural pairing you know it, and i think and it also sort of in some ways it makes me think about japanese society again because one of the one of my favorite things about japanese society is aikido right you know uh which i've studied over the years here and there and uh, I love how the study of Aikido is the study of so many other things. And, you know, in fact, uh, I told this story recently. I don't remember if it was on the podcast. But the, the reason I first studied Aikido was that a psychology teacher said, if you really want to understand psychology, go study Aikido. And then once I got into Aikido, I saw how applicable it is to so many different realms of life. And... um yeah, I think that you're you've stumbled on something, uh, or, or you know maybe not stumbled, but you've, right. you've focused focused on something that is a very natural pairing. If you can cook well, it's kind of like people say: if if someone's a good dancer, they're probably a good lover. Right. I think there's some truth in that. Although I'm a shitty dancer, I have right. to say, I, I you know I cringe every time I hear that because I know it's true <laughs> and I know it doesn't apply to me, but. Um, uh, but he, he he said that by the way when he said he didn't uh, put any of the bowling balls into the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, 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 hey. What, <laughs> what happens in the bowling alley <laughs> stays in the, the bowling alley. Exactly. Um, but uh, I kind of feel like you know if if you're a good cook, mm. 
in the sense that you're saying, not in the sense of the, of the freaked out line cook in the restaurant yelling and screaming, right. you know, the high pressure tension. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about someone who knows how to relax in a kitchen, knows how to choose the right, you know, knows how to go to the market without knowing what you're going to make. Right. You know, that that style of person. You go, oh, this looks good. Oh, I could mix this with that. And, oh, that, that goes really well. Oh, here's some, you know, red snapper. That, that works really well with this and that. And then mm-hmm. you sort of come up with it and the whole thing is enjoyable. It's not work. No. People who say, you know, buy the book. Oh, page 72. Oh, okay. Right. Well, oh, no, I don't have any paprika. Oh, no. What am I? That's not. I remember being in bed with a woman once and... First time I ever I had sex with her, and I remember feeling like I feel like she's doing this by the book. Right. I feel like everything she's doing is this weird. She's not feeling it. She's not responding to me. She's like, you know, it's like okay, page seven. Let's see. You know, grab the penis. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know. It was. It was really. It was like she was following instructions. And it was weird because, like, Mm. she was doing things that any guy would like, but the way there was just no heart, it it wasn't alive. Yeah, it was really strange. Yeah, and getting to that point is great. And I didn't start at that point. This and, and, and being confident in the kitchen and knowing what to cook scares a lot of guys off. But this is what I'm trying to do with that part of the website which is to hold your hand and walk you through it and right. for a reason because I need to pay it back. It, when I was in col- yeah, I was still in college and I had this job and for some reason this incredibly beautiful uh, young woman agreed to go out with me. She was way out of my league. But somehow she agreed, right? And I'm all in a panic because this is in Los Angeles at the time and Los Angeles is a car culture and your status is judged by your car and i was broke and i my car barely could get me to work every day let alone be able to transport this beautiful woman to a restaurant and her seeing eye dog exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) to a restaurant i couldn't afford (laughs) not afford right i didn't have the cash to pay the bill right and i'm in a panic what do i do so i went to my boss who was very cool and i said you know this is my problem he says well cook for i go i don't know how to cook and he says, oh, it's not that hard. I'm like, yes, it is. And he goes, all right, here. And in five minutes, he, I still remember the recipe of what to do. Bottle of wine, sear some chicken, cut up the chicken bits. Da, da, da. He, he, five minutes, he wrote it down, step by step for me. Make this. And I said, oh, I, okay, I, I can follow your instructions. I trust you. I went to the market, got what I needed, came back, followed his instructions. She came over. She loved it. It was great. She was still out of my league, and I still wasn't prepared for her. <laughs> I hadn't run across, the, you know, the Black Phillip show or the Beige Phillip show. That's Patricia, Patricia O'Neill had a uh, advice uh, t- uh, radio show called that. And so I, she was still out of my league, and I couldn't seal the deal. But she had a great time. I had a great time, and I had a bunch of confidence. And that's what I'm trying to do with the site is – if you already know how to cook, I probably don't know what to do. You know, you're not, you may or may not, you, you'll pick up tidbits. Right. But if you don't know anything, you come to the site and I literally will hold your hand to get you through it. Right. So that you can, because there's so much to think about. Yeah. Um, I was 
just early, earlier in the year, I was cooking for a woman. She was coming over, and I was actually testing a recipe, but I liked her, so I wanted to impress her. And even I was like, this is really hard when a woman's coming over and you want to impress her. Yeah. You know, so. Well, and it's also, you know, it's good to, to I, I, when I was in the dating scene, I had like three signature dishes okay. that I had made a bunch of times. Right. So I knew I wouldn't screw them up. Very good. You know? And so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you learn to masturbate before you, <laughs> you know, make it for yourself and your buddy, you know, yeah. and like, and make sure, you know, so you know how to do that. And then when someone's coming over that, you know, do that. And then when you know her better, then you can start experimenting. And But, you know, you want to be you want to be present. Also, the bottle of wine, I think, is very important. The mm-hmm. music's important because you want her to come over while you're still cooking. Because mm-hmm. that also makes the conversation easier because you're doing something. Right. So you're not like sitting there staring at each other, having that awkward conversation. You're doing stuff. She's commenting. It gives her time to look around. It takes pressure off her. Look you know? at the family photos. Looking yeah. for pictures of ex-girlfriends. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, in order, but yeah, you need, you need to have practiced that ahead of time in order to do that. Right. And even if you fail... Um, the greatest aphrodisiac, in my opinion, is self-confidence. Right. And if you just blow it, right, you just put it away and calmly say, well, it didn't work out. It's pizza. Yeah. We're delivering pizza <laughs> with a laugh. Right. Right? Yeah. Even if the room is filled with smoke and go, <laughs> you know, this Let's is hysterical. <laughs> you know, we're calling them pizza. You like, you know, you like this brand or this brand, right? right? And And if you exhibit that confidence... It's okay. That burnt dish of yours is forgotten immediately. But if you panic and throw a fit and you know apologize, right? Uh, that's that's not going to work. Okay, for you. so here's the you know we're talking about how the bedroom and the kitchen are natural mm-hmm. sort of pairing, right? Mm-hmm. What you're describing there sounds to me like erectile dysfunction. Amen. You burn the dish. If you get uptight about that. You're going to ruin the evening, you're going to ruin the relationship, and you're going to get into a downward spiral where you're going to be afraid to cook again because you fucked up last time. Guys who freak out about not getting a hard-on or whatever, you know... the Or even premature ejaculation. Yeah, whatever it is, it's like there's a way to deal with this where you rule with it, you acknowledge it, it's no big deal, whatever, Mm. and it's cool next time, whatever you think about doing it differently, you slow down, you, Mm. you know, whatever it is. And it's cool. The worst thing you can do is freak out about it mm-hmm. because it puts you in that downward spiral. It, it puts all this pressure on you. You start to worry about something that's going to happen, and therefore it does because you're worried about it. You make her uptight because now it's her job to make you feel better or to pretend that she doesn't care. Or like, or you you're, create, he's not attracted to me. Right. You know, whatever. Exactly. It, it, you create it's, it's a fucking ugly. mess, man. And it's 98% of the mess is your own creation. It's your reaction. Right. It's exactly. like parents watching a toddler fall down. Every toddler falls down, looks around, see if anyone's looking. Yeah, exactly. And if they got the, are you, you know, is it oh okay? My God, crying? Oh, my God. Crying, right? yeah, then yeah. the toddler's going to cry. And right. if, if everyone's like, yeah, don't do that again, that hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he That'll walks teach on. You. Yeah. But yeah, you make a mistake in the bedroom, then yeah, it's your reaction. You yeah. know, if it's premature, premature ejaculation, it's like, yeah, baby, that's how beautiful you are. <laughs> but hey, we're not done. We're not done. 
You stay yeah. there. We're pulling out the <laughs> coconut oil, uh-huh. and you know you're getting a great massage, right? And right. then you know, don't worry, he'll be back. Careful you know? with the po- coconut oil; it'll <laughs> eat your rubbers away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so yeah, there's a there's just the lessons go back and forth. Right. You can use them in both. Right. Excellent. So, well, listen. Uh, thank you for doing this. This, no, this thank is you. fun, man. We're pushing two hours, and I feel like we've just scratched the surface. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for sharing your your expertise on Japan and uh, and everything else. All right. Uh, uh, say the name of the website again, so people can go. Organic couples. One word. Organiccouples dot com. All right. And that's uh, cool. Check it out, y'all. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Pleasure. He said, "Baby, what's a big deal?" Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You want to shut it up but give it a rest You're going to die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say to the ground.